Hello guys, gals, and non-binary pals, and happy Friday. Welcome back to a smaller edition of Science in Podcast, brought to you by Science and Pictures Magazine. Once again, it is your hosts, Madison Dix and Jared Edelman, here for our third mini-sode. I wasn't selling for time because I forgot which one it is. It's the third one. And just like the other mini-sodes, it's so small. Just a little guy. So, we're happy you're here, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. Um, if you want to engage further with this content that we've created for you um, and listen to us, you know, continue to take the headache out of peer-reviewed scientific literature, feel free to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We are Science in Podcast with underscores on Instagram. And we also have an email address so you can send us feedback or any topics you'd like us to cover at podcast at scienceandpictures.com. And um, if you like this podcast, uh, feel free to subscribe and tell your friends. We're just a baby. We're just growing. So anything you can do helps us grow. Uh, and I bet you're wondering uh, what we're talking about in this mini-sode. So am I, actually. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Jared. Well, Madison, uh, today we are talking about what a relatively, I'm going to say semi-ancient, because we usually go a bit further back in time, but what a semi-ancient ecosystem can tell us about the possible future impacts of human-caused climate change. Ooh, I love looking at the past for clues about the future. So do scientists. Um, uh, this paper was published in uh, the journal Science Advances. The title is The Mid-Miocene Jangpu Biota. I think it's pronounced that way. I might pronounce it wrong throughout this whole episode, but whatever. Um, Jangpu Biota, but reveals an outstandingly rich rainforest biome in East Asia. Uh, this paper was a massive collaborative effort from a lot of authors. Um, firstly, we have authors Bo Wang, Gongul Shi, Chunpeng Shu, and 27 other lovely scientists. Um, and massive respect to every single person who worked on this paper, but this is a mini-sode, so let's keep this a little short. <laughs> Yeah, we could either tell you about the article or we could list all the authors. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we love time to count them. Um, all right, so uh, with that in mind, let's jump in. We go now to southeastern China, except around 14.7 million years before China was actually a thing. Around this time, the Earth was experiencing an event known as the Mid-Miocene Climatic Optimum, or the MMCO for short. Uh, thank God for that. Characterized by elevated temperatures, high levels of CO2 in the atmosphere, and a relative northward and southward expansion of tropical climates compared to today. So in our modern world, we have a pretty clear transition from like temperate to subtropical to tropical. It's thought that during the mid-Miocene climatic optimum, the tropical started to inch its way into the subtropical, and the subtropical was less of an actual thing. Okay, interesting. So like right now, you know, near the equator, we have the tropics where it's like, stable and warm and moist most of the time and then we have the subtropics where it's kind of in between being super warm and hot all the time but there's a little more variation yeah exactly have, yeah and then we have the temperate zone where it's more cold and changeable that's where we are up here in boston and then we have the antipodes the poles where it's mad cold right um i think the most important distinction between tropical and subtropical is exactly what you said is those like distinctions between the winter and summer um, in the subtropical times, there is a much larger difference in temperatures than there is in tropical zones. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. So that's what we have right now. But 14 million years ago, um, in this forest, this was a time when it was basically just the tropics, the warm, wet, and stable, and then 
straight into the mad cold area. Possibly. There's a lot of unknowns, um, which uh, some of them we are going to be talking about because some of the unknowns were recently sort of solved. Um, but oh, when... wait, 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 one more question. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you might not be able to answer this, but it popped into my head. Um, so you said it was a period of like really high carbon dioxide in the atmosphere mm -hmm. back then. And I know that carbon dioxide is one of the big things, one of the main drivers of climate change now. But the climate change we're experiencing now, is it expanding the tropics or is it just making everything wacky? There are a lot of satellite uh, data studies that have been done on this, and it seems to point in the way of the prediction that it's going to happen in the future if we go by like business as usual standards. Oh, OK. So if we don't like keep emissions under or keep warming under two degrees Celsius, then we're going to have a massive tropics and then a mad cold area again. Yes, which means massive migrations on the part of humans and a lot of other animals and a lot of strife that's going to stem from that if, if we have to go through it. Bring on the water wars. No, please don't. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. But, um, so we have already touched on what the uh, MMCO means to climate scientists, which is um, it's considered by many of them to be a possible glimpse into the future of the consequences of human-associated climate change. Because this time was very similar to what we have now. Um, the precipitation was almost identical. Um, we just have this big difference in temperature, which, you know, we are steadily reaching that point, uh, not to scare anyone. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, it is. This is... So... What we're looking at, which I wasn't quite sure what you said. Did you say things trapped in amber? Something about a jungle? It's a big combination of fossils, but amber is included. A big combination of fossils from a jungle. So, and from a time, the most recent time that could look very much like our near future if we don't get our shit together. <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, now, in the case of Southeast Asia, uh, more specifically Southeast China, there have not been a whole lot of data points from the biological realm. There's rocks can tell you all kinds of chemistry data for how the atmosphere might have looked, but there are comparatively sparse uh, fossils that would actually tell us what life was like in these areas. So um, obviously those conditions are of interest to scientists. And recently um, they have gotten over the, oh my God. So the fossil record in a word sucks a lot of the time. Um, it's very incomplete. It's, it can be very fickle exactly when you need it not to. And in the case of Southeastern China, this is up until now really been the case. We just don't know how life responded to this massive increase in temperature and CO2. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. You said until now though. So yes. sounds like we learned something. Mm -hmm. So, uh, two of the words I said in that long title were Zhangpu Bayada. Uh, Zhangpu is a, uh, it shows up as Google as a county in China. I don't think that's the right word to use for a country that's not the U.S., but a region? I don't know if I would call it a region either. It didn't say region, but uh, in an area of China called, called Jiangpu, uh, there are a lot of fossils, uh, amber included, that have turned up um, a lot. <laughs> the Jiangpu biota has been described as an exceptional assemblage of mineral, amber, and trace fossils of plants, fungi, and animals. So the gold mine, jackpot, this is exactly what we've been looking for. Wow. Oh, I want to know. What did they find in there? <laughs> so the first thing they did, or the first thing they talked about, was a molecular analysis of the amber, because it's important to know what kind of trees were actually creating it. Amber is, after all, fossilized tree sap. Yes, so, amber is fossilized tree sap. Mm -hmm. Love that fact. That's, you know, that part in Jurassic Park with the, you know. 
I'm more mad about the fact that they use frog DNA when they could have used birds, but you know, that's not their episode. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we just watch Jurassic Park. We, mm, yeah, maybe in our future. Um, so, uh, based on the molecular analysis, and uh, there were, were a lot of characteristically winged fruits that were fossilized in the amber as well. No. Winged fruit. Yes. Fruit with wings. Exactly. <laughs> like those little helicopter seeds, but like an apple? Kind of. Um, the only trees that actually produce these fruits are called uh, uh, diterocarp trees. Di, to, taro, wing, carp, um, carp. Made hand? Oh, they're probably made. I don't know Hello? what carp means. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there's no common name. They're called diterocarps. But they are a still, today, a major element of uh, Southeast Asian tropical rainforests. The only problem is you don't see many of those in China because China is, Southeast China is subtropical. Um, so that's the first right. thing. Okay, so it's like Southeast China now is in that, that middle zone. It's still pretty warm and hot, but there's seasons. But back when these fossils were alive, for lack of a better word, it was tropical, tropical. Exactly. And that was only the first of many similarities. Um, in fact, every single family of plants identified, including uh, legumes, laurels, and many other, many other families, I think there were like 10 or 20, um, those all continue to dominate Southeast Asian rainforests along with those cytarocarps. So that is some pretty damn strong evidence that already that this was very likely an ancient tropical rainforest, not subtropical like it is now. All right. A lot. <laughs> oh, and plant-derived climate data also suggested that this ancient rainforest was much warmer than the present, which we were already talking about. Um, the only problem is it was way too different from today. Um, that rainforest probably varied throughout the year by about 10 degrees Celsius, and modern southeastern China varies by 15. That's a full five degrees less variation. Which is, it doesn't sound like much when we're talking about weather, but just to, just for reference, when we're talking about climate, that's an average. Um, so for the weather to change, you know, five degrees Celsius is not a big deal, but for the average of the weather over a long period of time to change, that is a big deal. Yes, that uh, much too rapidly uh, could be easily described as a problem. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, the findings didn't start there because like we talked about, there were also animals. Um, I'm guessing that the majority of scientists who contributed to this paper were entomologists and uh, just other branches of science that study arthropods, because those were the only ones that were talked about. But so the bug people. Exactly. It was for another pretty good reason, too, though, which is that um, the arthropods, the arthropods that associate themselves with, with tropical rainforests can be very indicative of that environment if they're found. So uh, the Zhengdu and... What's up? Okay. So you're saying the bug people were the ones mostly doing this probably and there's a lot of information about the bugs and then you said that the bugs are the key to knowing what they are they this wasn't really explained well in the paper and i couldn't find a lot of info on it but I thought you can slide it past me <laughs> for some reason arthropods like insects are a lot more indicative of telling you the environment they might have been associated with than other animals at least as far as this paper led me to believe Oh, okay. No, that actually does make sense to me. So you're saying like looking at the bugs in fossils gives you a better idea than looking at other animals. The reason that makes sense to me is because bugs are small. And so I feel like they would, there'd be more endemic bug species. Oh. I'm not an entomologist, but that's where my brain goes. 
you also maybe think of the fact that they're skeletons on the outside, so they're often more well-preserved as full fossils, especially because it's mostly tiny ones. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's a new thing for me to think about. But um, as far as this study goes, there were a whopping 250 families of arthropod, um, which easily catapults the Jengpu Amber into the top four richest amber deposits on the planet. Wow. And importantly, it's never been commercially extracted. So there's no human bias as far as the specimens they actually obtained. Because in Burmese amber, in... The, I should have wrote this down. Uh, the other places that amber exists, it's been commercially extracted for years by anything from jewelers to just people wanting to make a quick buck. So they'll take what they look think looks prettiest and then grind it down into jewelry, which might completely destroy the ancient animal inside. Yeah. I mean, it'd be really cool to have a necklace with like a piece of amber with an ancient bug inside, but I'm not going to buy one because I want the scientists to have that bug and tell me its secrets. Exactly. Now, that's not to say that there isn't amber you can acquire with animals in it that isn't ethically sourced, because there's lots of examples of amber that scientists have already gotten all the data they need to, and so they give it to things like museums or, you know, some nice places where someone can buy it. But yeah, in most cases, leave the amber to the people who can find out stuff from it. Always want to do your research. Exactly. Um, but back to the uh, paper, uh, 200 of those families were insects. Um, unsurprising, insects are crazy diverse even today. Uh, 50 of the identified families in the amber were things like springtails, centipedes, millipedes, uh, isopods, those really polies, a lot of arachnids. We had ticks, mites, spiders, harvestmen, pseudoscorpions. Have you ever seen a pseudoscorpion? I assume it's like almost a scorpion. They're literally a fat scorpion with no tail. Very cute. I almost said awe and then I remembered what a scorpion face looks like. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're cute. Um, but, uh, so we're talking about a lot about our, our arthropod diversity. Um, arthropods are going to be diverse wherever you look, but the important part is just like the plants, um, the vast majority of those arthropod species that were found inside the amber still exist today in Southeast Asian rainforests. Again, the problem is that um, Southeast China is not a tropical rainforest, just to drive that point home. Okay, so I'm, what's interesting to me right now, what's jumping out at me is like, the climate has changed a lot, but it seems like the flora and the fauna, at least the plants and the insects, have stayed the same? I'm glad you mentioned that because the uh, authors of the paper made a point to mention it as well. They called, uh, they, they, they referred to tropical rainforests as sort of like areas of evolutionary stasis um, where animals at the generic level, which is like groups of species, maintain themselves for a long time and just diversify and only they diversify. So it's possible that tropical rainforests around the planet can sort of offer the same type of snapshot as what was there 14 million years ago in Brazil or one of the other areas. Oh, okay. So that kind of makes sense to me because the the tropics are typically around the equator and that's the most stable area of our planet climatically. Mm -hmm. um, so it would make sense to me that the animals there uh, wouldn't change as much. Over exactly. time. There's not quite as much to adapt to. Exactly. The ones that are already good at prospering are going to prosper for a lot longer. Yeah. That, like some of the oldest animals evolutionary speaking on the planet arose in the tropics, like corals. Mm-hmm. Cool. A lot of stuff. Um, yeah. Now for the not-so-great part, uh, what does this all tell us about the future of our planet? Um, lucky for you, I'm not going to say. I think it's best to leave the hard predictions to the actual climate scientists who are going to use this data. 
But at the very least, uh, the Jiangfu Biota tells us that when Southern China experienced comparable conditions to what are expected in our own future, it experienced a full-on shift to tropical monsoon conditions quite different from what's happening there today. Um, whether or not we can keep that change and all the complications it could cause under wraps really depends on our species coming together and addressing the very practices that are causing that climate change. Yeah, <clears throat> because these insects and plants might have done okay switching over to a tropical ecosystem, but um, us humans were a little less resilient to those big old changes. Our um, systems barely work now. Like, <laughs> Yeah, we're pretty picky. I mean, think about how angry you get when it's like 90 degrees outside. I, you know? I shut down. Like, <laughs> yeah, like a five degree change in the weather, like takes me from a good mood to like teeth chattering and I, I need to take a nap or like I'm on fire, dump me in a river. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, if I don't know what's a motivator, I don't probably I just had a stroke. I don't know what is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. I mean, I do think that people when they think about climate change, a lot of times they're thinking like, oh, we're killing all of the other animals, but we're going to be fine because we're humans and we're so smart and we can cope with these things with technology. But it's like, actually, like the the species that's going to be one of the species that's going to be hardest hit by it is likely humans. Mm -hmm. um, so it's important to keep that in mind because we want to do things that help our own species, you know? <laughs> um, and also, uh, and the other really key thing is that uh, it is in our hands as a species. It really is. Yeah, the changes that are causing climate change are human changes, and that means that humans can actually um, change those changes. <laughs> So like, so uh, take that hand, put a fork in it, and start eating rich people. <laughs> Thank you. That's my favorite solution. Um, I know I, we say that so much. I do want to clarify, like, I'm not a cannibal currently. Um, Again, I'll remain ambiguous. <laughs> um, some real quick climate change solutions for anyone who wants to uh, get involved switching over to renewable energy sources. So instead of fuels like coal and oil and natural gas we can use solar and wind and geothermal and water energy those that's that's a big one um we can also try to source products and foods locally so we don't have to travel so far um we can preserve our forests and our wetlands and our oceans because those things naturally help us with the problem they absorb the gas that causes it um and if you uh, want more tips slide into our dms <laughs> always happy to give out climate change uh advocacy no sorry always happy to give out climate action tips absolutely all right super interesting stuff uh if you want to learn more about these insects and bugs and fauna um those are all the same <laughs> <laughs> i mean technically you got really, really specific with bug, which is specific to Hemiptera, but the other I, one Well, is it though? I mean, I use the word bug to describe all arthropods. Well, uh, you would be laughed out of an entomologist meeting. I'm sure I would, but <laughs> um, anyone using the word anapterara would what? be laughed out of a bar. You tell me. <laughs> well, one place I would definitely go to, uh, the other is a bar. <laughs> okay. Uh, if anyone would like to learn more about these crazy insects and other arthropods and bugs and plants preserved in amber and what they can teach us about the future of our planet, feel free to check out our host, Science and Pictures, 
Um, Becca will be putting out a comic about this really cool research article. You can check that out on the website, scienceandpictures.com. You can also check out their Instagram, science underscore in underscore pictures. And we'll also be posting it on our Instagram, science underscore in underscore podcast. So I hope you had fun on this Fun Science Friday. I sure did. I'm sweating. It's so hot in my room. I had fun, though. (laughs) (laughs) And um, uh, that's really it from us. So bye-bye. Bye-bye.